<laughs> you often find that um, the particular circumstance of a particular generation of Christians will necessitate a kind of space that they'll need to meet in. Mm. Um, we know from the New Testament that the word church is actually talking about the gathering of God's people. The church are the, uh, the Greek word for that is the ecclesia. So church is not the building, church is the gathering of the people. So the people are the, the church, but the building is the place where the church gathers. So uh, in our modern um, way of talking about church, we'll often talk about, oh, that church there or that church there. Uh, but actually the word ecclesia, where we get our modern English word from, means the gathering of God's people. So we gather together around Jesus and that's what um, makes us the church. So throughout history and across the world, there are different kinds of spaces that the church has used. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the Shock Absorber podcast. This is episode five and today we are talking, oh, I should remember, I need to introduce my co-host, Mrs. Stu Crawshaw. How are you? Hello, Joel. It's very good to have you on board again, as always. And um, today we are moving on to 2014 in the history of Sorrel Bible Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week we were talking about how we were getting quite large in 2013 and we probably need a new venue. But mm-hmm. speaking of new venues and new architecture, you actually have a TV show you wanted to chat about that kind of applies to what we're talking about today. What was that? Yes. So in the podcast so far, we have been talking about various interesting things like movies, etc. And I thought it might actually be good to look at um, this TV show on Apple TV, which is called Home because we're talking about architecture today and there's a really interesting number of episodes there about how people create different spaces for themselves. But one of the episodes in particular, and it's in season one, uh, episode two, uh, it's directed by a lady called Jessica Dimmick and it looks at um, the work of a man called Theesta Gates who does some really interesting work in Chicago. And what he does is he is in the, uh, I suppose he's, He's an artist and part of his art is to revitalise inner city social spaces to create new sense of home in communities that are often overlooked. And what's really good about it is that he, he just started um, feeling like he wanted to create uh, more beautiful spaces in areas of his city that had become quite run down and there was a lot of social deprivation. And so uh, his architecture actually was uh, a thematic example of how there could be regeneration and there could be new hope and new ideas. And so he started off with one building and then went to two buildings and then more and more. And eventually he even made a library out of a disused bank and things like that. So just one by one, he just started making new spaces and each of those new spaces started getting people more and more excited. So yeah, if you get a chance to look that show up, it's called Home on Apple TV Plus, I think, or Plus. Yeah, TV Plus. I remember. Yeah, Yeah, but it's a good show. Yeah, it actually sounds like something I really want to watch. I haven't actually seen it. So it's cool how you can make those differences in uh, communities and stuff depending on like even just where people walk and how transport is figured out and all that kind of stuff. So I find that really interesting. 100%. It's really cool. Well, it's very applicable to what we're talking about today because as I said, we were moving into a new venue. Uh, We like to call it the factory. But let's rewind a little bit. So why were we looking for the factory? What was what was the thinking behind that? Because we were growing quite large and kind of outgrowing President yeah. Avenue Community Yeah, Church. for the space we were getting large. Yeah, yeah. we talked about it uh, last episode that some people talk about a, 
80% rule where some people say that once you get to about 80% full in a building, it's harder for new people to come along and feel comfortable. And so sometimes buildings don't go beyond an 80% capacity. But what we're experiencing at President Avenue Community Church was that we'd grown to 110%. So we were filled the building and we were outside the building as well, which was exciting at one level, but it wasn't super practical either. And we always knew that uh, President Avenue Community Church would be our next step away from the uh, meetings in our home down at Grace Point, but we were always thinking, where will we go next? So the question that we've got to cover on uh, today's podcast is how do we how do we find a new location? How do we afford it? How do we fit it out? How do we get permission from the council to use it? How do we get the legal uh, stuff ready to go? Uh, so before we went into all the technical uh, specifications for getting a place to meet, we really needed to think through what sort of place we were looking for. So, yeah, I thought it'd be really interesting today if we unpack some of that. Yeah, and it's like, um, I mean, if people watching on the video can see we're in the factory now where we moved to, but we are. prior to that, like, what did we have to go through to actually make that happen? So we were at the point where, like, we need a new venue, mm. but then we are like, okay, well, what kind of venue do we need and where do we want to move to? Yeah. <laughs> what, was well, the, what was the thinking we went through? Yeah, well, we got the, the core team together and we had a bit of fun with this, actually. So we said what are some um, different options that we have in terms of where we meet? Uh, and we had a bit of fun. We said we could meet in a park, which would be okay, but if it was really hot one day or it rained, it might not be as easy to meet in the park. Uh, we could look to rent something or we could look to buy something. And in the process of having that conversation, we decided probably the next step would be a rental. And then if we were going to try and rent something, uh, we decided what sort of price we were going to look at. And we... Yeah, we'd grown a fair bit in the first year, but we still weren't at a level where we could afford the two foundation pastors and a rental property. So Matt Redman and myself were the pastors. And as we said in earlier podcasts, we were already on part-time. But Matt and I decided we'd stay on part-time for longer so that we could start saving some money for a rental. So the next question was, if we were going to find a space... How could we find a space that would meet our needs, which we'll talk a bit more about in this podcast, but also how could we afford it? Like what was the affordability around it? So we started looking on realestate.com and just looking at different places uh, with commercial leases. And we found out fairly quickly that even if we found a factory, we'd need a DA from council to convert an existing space into a place that had worship status. So where we live in Sydney, in the Sutherland Shire, the council has stipulated that uh, church needs to meet with worship status. And so that legal requirement was something we would need to get a DA for. But that was second. What we needed first is what could we afford? And then could we find uh, a landlord that would be willing to rent a property to a church? So the first process was just literally going around looking at rentals um, like people would for their own family, like looking for a family unit or a house to, to live in. We were looking for a space and so we just spent the first six months probably looking around at different options that were, were in the Shire. Some of the buildings we looked at were were really lovely but too expensive and some of them were um, really cheap but not really fit for purpose too because we needed something that um, was big enough for not only the 110 people but something we could grow into as well. So that, that was quite a hard journey. But we eventually found this uh, place and the funny story of this um, particular factory, and you can't see it online or hear it. See the, see you it can on, see the wall. That's we can see it. the wall, that's <laughs> right. But you can't, you can't see the, how it's divided up. But no. basically uh, this factory used to be two factories side by side and originally only half of 
the, this particular premises we're in was up for lease to start off with and the other side was being leased out to something else. But we still came and checked it out and we prayed about it and that was the thing, like praying about it was just so important. Like we're just asking God to help us to find somewhere. And even though when I came looking at this place with our wardens, uh, who are our elected representatives who are responsible for finances and the facilities and the safety of people at Sorrel Bible, well, the wardens and I thought, well, we'll just check this place out, even though it looks a bit small. It was really awesome because as I was talking to the real estate agent, I said, look, this would be fantastic, the place that we've seen, but it's probably half the size of what we want. And the real estate agent said, well, funny that, because mm-hmm. actually I've heard that the next half of the place will be coming up for lease soon. So, yeah, because Matt and I were on part-time, we actually did the maths and we worked out that we could afford the two factories. And then we approached the landlord landlord, and the landlord said, yeah, we'd, I'd really be happy to have a factory be used as a church. That'd be terrific. And so that was awesome. But then the next step was how do we get a DA? So that right. was that was a really challenging process, and so like and that's uh, I'm, I'm assuming related to some of the legal things too. But uh, how do you get a develop development application through as mm. a worship status? I mean, there's probably some people listening to this podcast who think, oh, we wouldn't mind doing that, but then it's like, oh, now we have to get a DA. How do we do yeah, that? Yeah, so it is it is a real journey, and obviously people can contact us if they're interested in exploring these options themselves but the first thing we needed to work out is how do we organize our legal status as a fellowship of the anglican church that was part of evangelism and new churches which is the church planning department of the sydney anglican church how do we actually get um the lease who takes the lease and so you know we we talked to the lawyers in the anglican church and they helped us to organize that so that was fine being part of a bigger organization was fantastic and i can thoroughly recommend anybody who's church planting to really think through uh, being part of a bigger organisation because this is the kind of thing that really is helpful when you're part of a bigger organisation to have that support that support and that head office. But also we had some really talented business people and lawyers, et cetera, at our church who helped to work this out. It was terrific to be part of that team. So how did we start thinking about, well, we now actually have the location, the new venue, the factory. How are we going to actually move in there and what are we going to do to actually make it work for us as a church? Yeah, well, uh, again, the the volunteers we had at church were fantastic and getting a team of volunteers together to work out the design of the place and how we could make it fit for our purpose. Uh, there was some alterations we needed to make to the building for ministry purposes because we needed spaces for the kids. We needed spaces for um, for us to have meals. We needed spaces to have the auditorium for the church services. And uh, so it was just actually like a big concrete box that's what we had so mm. it was like great because it was an empty canvas but it was also terrifying because it was like oh what do we do with this <laughs> there were things the council asked us to do as a part of the worship status so we needed to have a certain number of toilets and parking spaces so that that was easy we could get that done um, and all the works we ended up doing just to summarize ended up costing us well actually i haven't said how much the rent was actually the rent was a hundred thousand dollars a year so that was quite a lot of money but then on top of that, we needed to get $120,000 to fit out the, the, the whole place. And that wasn't too bad. Like when you take out the bathrooms and the kitchen, that's already eaten up about $50,000. So, you know, we, we were looking for chairs and pews and things uh, yep. on a, a site called Gumtree, which I don't know if that's something everybody knows about overseas as well. But in Australia, Gumtree is like a, a place where you can buy cheap things. And so, for example, all our chairs for our cafe area 
cost us $80 for, I think, about 120 chairs. So that's the sort of bargains we were looking we for, have, old church have, pews, things like that. Yeah, we have gone through quite a few different chair types <laughs> over the years. Yeah, we have. But then the big part of the design too and the team that we put together was we wanted all the different generations of the church represented on the team because in previous churches that I've been a part of, we have looked at doing renovations or developments for the church and it's often the the older people that make a lot of the decisions and they consult with the younger people but what we wanted to do is have younger people and older people on the same team and that's really the shock absorber in action having young people and older people working out is are we going to have carpet or not are we going to have air conditioning or not are we going to in in fact in those two instances it was the young people who said well let's not have carpet we can polish the concrete, paint the concrete floors, that'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, it was really exciting actually having young people helping to design the place because it just felt like a better expression of our whole community rather than just consulting with young people. Though giving them the authority to make decisions on design was also really important for the shock absorber. Yeah, pretty cool to be able to... Uh, it's more, again, it's always something that we like to talk about is that using the shock absorber in a way that can benefit the whole church and... I think that's a really cool way to do it. Can I ask you a question, though, about the finances? So you were saying yeah. that $100,000 for the rent yep. and a, around one hundred and twenty to actually um, make it fit for purpose. Yeah. What were the decisions around... Oh, that's a lot of money to commit to. How did you and the wardens and the elected representatives decide, well, this is what we should do and we're, we're ready to go and we think we can maintain this level of, of expenditure? Yeah, well, in our particular structure uh the the senior pastor is responsible for ministry and the wardens and the elected representatives are called a parish council in the anglican church and basically uh the ministry ideas can be floated in that forum and then those people vote on that and so they basically got together and listened to the ministry idea and then voted together in favor of expending that money and thought it was a good use of money and it's also, I suppose, uh, an, an exercise in trusting God that he'll provide that for us too, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And the other good thing about that group is we also had young people and older people on that parish council as well. So that that's a great example of younger people who are more flexible and older people who tend to have more wisdom and experience working together rather than working at odds with each other. That's the idea of the shock yeah. absorber, to bring people together. Yeah, that's cool. So whether people are looking at doing something for a youth ministry, finding a premises or a church, it's really good to get the generations to work together. I think yeah. that's the theme. Because there's always, and obviously older generations possibly have a little bit more money they can contribute yeah, and all that kind true. of stuff too. So, yeah, okay. So now we're sitting here in this factory, but obviously a lot of thought went into the design and how we looked at it and all that kind mm. of thing. You've spoken already about how architecture, you, you like architecture just watching it on a show. Mm. But I think also... That was something we also learnt um, even through youth ministry and Soul Revival was how important architecture was. And I know that the third place theory uh, genuinely influenced how you and the leaders thought about that. Mm. Do you want to speak about that more? Because I think that's something that we should focus on more and, and it really um, made sure that we did it in, a, in an intentional way when we actually moved into the factory. Do you want to speak to that to begin yeah. with? Yeah, that's really helpful. So the two things there are architecture is as a, a general important question for all churches to think about. Um, starting with that question, if you think about architecture and the sorts of architecture churches, uses, uh, ch churches use, you often find that um, the particular circumstance of a particular generation of Christians will necessitate a kind of space that they'll need to meet in. Um, we know from the New Testament that 
the word church is actually talking about the gathering of God's people. The church are the, uh, the Greek word for that is the ecclesia. So church is not the building. Church is the gathering of the people. So the people are the, the church, but the building is the place where the church gathers. So uh, in our modern um, way of talking about church, we'll often talk about, oh, that church there or that church there. Uh, but actually the word ecclesia, where we get our modern English word from, means the gathering of God's people. So we gather together around Jesus and that's what um, makes us the church. So throughout history and across the world, there are different kinds of spaces that the church has used. Uh, one of my favourite examples is um, just recently, actually in the last few years, they've, the archaeologists have discovered a very, very old church, very one of the first uh, churches in Turkey. Really? And the church was actually in a cave. And the reason that they chose to meet in the cave was not because they liked caves and they thought, hey, let's build a church in a cave because we really dig church underground. <laughs> uh, excuse the pun. I didn't yeah, realise I was going to say a nice pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But actually the reason they went for a cave was because they had to hide. So the archaeologists have found this beautiful building where they have you know, a, pl- a space where they could preach from and there's a communion table and there's places for people to sit and... And that, that was dis- fit for purpose because they needed to kind of hide away. They didn't want to be caught or yeah, persecuted. Yeah. But yeah. if you look at churches built in other generations, you can see the, the theological emphasis that the particular builders of the church have too. So if you look at medieval churches in Europe, they're often grand and huge and you know, particularly the cathedrals, they're awe-inspiring. And that's not an accident. The reason they made their buildings like that was because they wanted to emphasise the otherness of God and the holiness of God and, and that was very appropriate to um, help people to remember that God is holy and he is God and we are not. And so coming into the church was um, the architecture, I suppose, helped them to communicate that idea. If you fast forward to more modern times, say in the part of the world that we are in in Australia, church buildings can become uh, more utilitarian. And what I mean by that is if, um, particularly in Protestant churches, if the idea of the building is to provide a space to preach the gospel for a group of people to come for an hour and sit and or an hour and a half or whatever it might be for a formal church service. There might be a need for some church offices, maybe a, a cry room, I think some churches call them, where, where nursing mothers can um, um, sit and enjoy the service. But also there might be an, uh, an attendant hall where, where um, lots of activities can be run, like youth groups and kids' ministry and things like that and a car park and uh, you know a lot of churches no matter whether they're building the 50s 60s or 70s can can sort of have that same kind of layout Um, I suppose what we were looking for with our church though and our architecture was what you referred to as we had been really convicted about the fact that church is the gathering of God's people and so we started thinking well how do people gather in community in our generation so just like there were other generations who had the freedom to build buildings that were fit for their purpose, um, we were really struck by um, the, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, um, we read that uh, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And that's Paul talking. And he's saying to the Thessalonians, we loved you so much that we wanted to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and we wanted to share our lives with you as well. And so that seems to fit with that definition of church being 
uh, a gathering of God's people. So we gather around the Word of God to hear the Bible preached and we gather with Jesus. But when we gather together in the local church, we're actually gathering together to action the one another passages in Scripture. So to bear each other's burdens, uh, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to minister with one another. All those one another passages in the Bible can be actioned in the local church. So as we preach the gospel, we need a space for that. But we also need a space to share our lives. And as we thought about sharing our lives, we asked the question, well, in the Sutherland Shire in the 20, 21st century, yeah, yeah, 21st century, <laughs> I think that's I'm right. right on that. Um, you know, how do people gather in community? What sort of um, characteristics um, does the Bible talk about as we gather as community? Um, in the early 90s, we noticed that um, particularly because of some of the popular theories of church back in the 70s and 80s, there was a, uh, an idea called the church growth movement and the church growth movement had really spread the idea that it's really important to create facilities that were very professional. And so the architecture of that time would be um, in line with this church growth theory. Now, the church growth theory suggested that maybe churches in the West were in decline because they weren't, you know, there was more to the theory than just this, but one of the big parts of it was that the church was in decline because it wasn't professional enough. It was a bit hokey. So if people were used to going to a music venue to hear really professional music, there needed to be professional music in the church. When they went to the movies, if they didn't find adequate parking that was clean and easy to access, then they might not go to that particular venue. So the church also needs to have really clean, helpful car parking. Um, everything being professional means that if the idea of the church growth movement was that if people could have a good experience coming to church, then they're more likely to come to church. Now I have some some um, thoughts about that and a few issues with it. And back in the 90s, I started to notice that one of the problems with approaching church professionally was that all the local churches in our area were all trying to do music really, really well and they were trying to do all the preaching really well and all that. And that's great. But one of the consequences that was unexpected from that is it did create a bit of consumerism amongst Christians. And so um, I think some Christians started thinking that church was a bit like a petrol station that you could get your fill of God anywhere. So you looked for the petrol station that had the cheapest petrol and the best convenience store. And so because people were, be, were starting to compare one church's professionalism to another, they started to pick and choose between different churches. It was a bit consumeristic. And that meant that people became a bit transient. And in the Sutherland Shire where we grew up, people would move churches because from time to time a new church would become the, the next best thing and a lot of people would move to that church and then another church would replace that, etc. And so there's this individualism and consumerism and transience that came from that church growth movement. So as we started to think about that, we thought, well, when we read the Bible, it seems to be that when we come to church, we should come to church to serve because after all, Jesus said um, that he wanted us to love one another as he loved us. And if he's teaching us how to love, then he's taught us how to love on the cross. And in Romans chapter 12, we read, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. So in view of God's mercy, well, God's mercy is reflected in the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He didn't hold anything back for us. He loved us so much that he took away the only barrier between us and God, 
which is our own sin, and he reconciled us to God through his death on the cross. And so on the cross he teaches us this sacrificial love. And I was looking at that, reading that, but at the same time looking at the church and seeing people who are my age saying, oh, I don't think I'll go to this church anymore because there's not enough people my age. I might go to this church now. And they have better singing or they have better this or whatever. And I started to think, well, biblically, how do we preach the gospel and share our lives with this sacrificial love? So as Paul was preaching the gospel, he was trying to live it out in his life. Now, if we, we are the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, then the community is, is something that is um, really important because that's a, a place where we get to express that love for one another. And so that's what led us to this third place theory because um, what's interesting is that um, the word ecclesia in the Bible is used to describe Christian churches so there are Christian gatherings or Christian ecclesias, but the word ecclesia could be used equally with other gatherings too. Um, there are other churches. And so in the Sutherland Shire, as I look around where we live, there's the Sharks Ecclesia or the Sharks Church or the Sharks Gathering where people gather around football. Or the pub gathering. Or there's a pub gathering, pub church. What makes the Christian church different to the pub or the Sharks is we gather around Jesus, not around football or alcohol. And so Jesus is what makes our gathering different. And what I found really interesting was that as people reflect on communities, I thought uh, two things. One is that community itself is a good thing. It's great to go to the Sharks and enjoy the football and be part of that community. But it's even better to gather with God's people around the Word of God and gather with Jesus. So I was really convicted early on that the Christian church is the best gathering to be a part of. And one of the things we used to say early on was that the action's in the church, not outside the church. Because the only place you can gather with Jesus is in the Christian gathering of God's people. So there's a, a, um, a sociologist by the name of Oldenburg that we talked about in season one. And he had uh, a really interesting look at how people gather in their communities or their churches in the modern world. Because what he identified is the city has created a new kind of community. So in the cities, people don't live and work and play in the same place anymore. When everybody, uh, before, you know, years and years ago, when most people lived in villages, pretty much everybody lived and worked and played in the same community. But now because of uh, cities, uh, we, we will live in a suburb like Sutherland Shire, but lots of people go to work in the city. And then they'll go to the Sharks or they'll go and have community or their time to play in different places. So if church is a gathering and a community, what makes the church distinct and different from those other communities? Uh, Oldenburg calls communities third places and he says that all third places have certain characteristics. And I thought it was really interesting to look at the characteristics of community and then look at how much better Jesus makes those communities. And when you do that, you can then, which we can maybe even do if you're interested, look at those characteristics. But when you've got those characteristics in mind and you look at how Jesus makes community even better, then we can actually start thinking about how we design the church uh, so that we can preach the gospel and share our lives. Yeah, I mean, like, thank you for breaking that down because that's a really interesting way of looking at it because uh, I'm, I'm assuming that Oldenburg was maybe speaking more in a secular context mm, of like this is how communities were made but I think that 
if you're talking about how how does Jesus make those communities better, it's also it's so important to be actually going, well, where in the Bible does this actually make sense? Um, and I thought, well, you, I mean, there's eight points that um, Oldenburg's kind of described that those uh, communities or third places have those certain characteristics. Mm. So maybe we can run through them and you can kind of tell us how you thought that they would apply biblically and, be, and actually be... Um, a useful way of actually creating a community and how we started, like we decided to fill out the factory or yeah. design the factory. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me see. The the first one I think is, hang on, I've got to find it, sorry. Neutral ground. Um, and he says that occupants of third places have little or no obligation to actually be there and they are not tied down to the area financially, politically or legally and otherwise are free to come and go as they please. Is that talking about how you talk about a, a situation where you've got to opt in and opt out? Yeah, I think there's got to be freedom for the individual to opt in and opt out of a local church. Um, we know from um, reading the New Testament that that we belong to the church not because we have things in common with the people in the local church or because... Uh, we resonate particularly with a particular church. But the reason we are members of the church is because of Jesus and what he's done. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, we see this in, in context here. And I might read this out. Uh, in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So this is really helpful as we were talking earlier about 1 Thessalonians, how he said that it's really important that um, as he was with the Thessalonians that he preached the gospel because the gospel, the preached gospel, or the preached good news about Jesus was how people hear the message of truth and that is what helps people to be saved because if they accept that message of truth then, then they are saved. That's the gospel of your salvation. And he goes on in verse 13 and says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when we believe in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, then we are forgiven for our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we belong to God's people because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And and our seal, we're marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. So we're given the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts because of what Jesus has done. And in verse 14, it says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we are saved for the glory of God and we gather for the glory of God. We gather around Jesus for the praise of his glory and we belong to the church because of Jesus. And so once you've kind of got that in your head, you think, because, I mean, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll go to a church, even even here at Sorrel Bible, and some weeks I'll go, I don't know if I feel like I belong. Like people are talking about things I don't know. I don't really know these people much. Do they really know me? But I've got to keep reminding myself that spiritually I have been predestined and adopted to be chosen um, before the creation of the whole world, Ephesians 1 says, um, through the through redemption through the blood of Jesus, so I've actually been saved because of what Jesus has done. I am now a child of God because of what Jesus has done. I've, I'm in the church because of what Jesus has done, and that's really freeing. Because when I when I know that I am part of the people of God because of Jesus, then I think to myself, how do I express that? How do I go about loving others, and how do I go about loving God? 
Well, again, as we said earlier in the podcast, there's so many passages in the Bible that are one another passages that you can only express in a local gathering of God's people. So while I am part of the universal church uh, around the world and through time uh, that, that we call the Catholic Church, not to be confused with the Roman Catholic Church, but the, the word Catholic just means around the world and throughout time. In other words, the whole of the church, not just in my little area. I'm part of the, the Catholic Church, the universal church, but then I actually commit to a local church. I opt into a local um, expression of God's church so that I might love others and be loved by others, right? But but it's really important that I opt into that. So I was really interested to hear Oldenburg say that just in general communities, people tend to find a healthy community as a place where people can opt in and opt out of that community. And I was struck that here's a great example of how the Christian church is even better than other communities because I, I belong and I'm part of the worldwide church and then I can be a part of different local churches uh, from time to time. Or, or in my case, I've actually been part of one church for, for 20, uh, 20, 30 years. You know, that, that is a really beautiful thing. But even though I've been part of, uh, I was part of Geimer Anglican Church for 30 years, um, I had the opportunity to go to Amsterdam in 2000 to the Billy Graham um, Amsterdam conference that was on there. And there was um, thousands of evangelists from all over the world and there was 200 countries represented. Everybody I met were brothers and sisters. And they were brothers and sisters, not because I met with them every week or I had something in common with them, but they were just Christians. They were just reconciled to each other because of Jesus. Yeah, and and I was actually on a bus in Amsterdam on my way to one of the convention talks, and I sat next to someone who wasn't even on the convention. He was reading Isaiah out of the Bible, and he he turned to me. You could see I was looking over his shoulder, and he said, oh, do you understand Isaiah? I can't remember what chapter it was now, and I'm like, no, I don't understand it. (laughs) And then together we just had this little Bible study on the bus, and we're talking about it. Anyway, he got up. And at the next stop, actually, and it, and it was only 15 minutes. And then he turned to me as he was getting off the bus and he said, well, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in heaven. Oh, that's cool. And I thought that was so awesome. So that's an example of the fact that we're part of the universal church. But then when I come along to Soul Revival, I'm going to inject myself into a group of people and opt in to love and serve them. And the neutral ground idea from Oldenburg is saying that Healthy communities are places where people can opt in and opt out. But how much more healthy is it that I can know that I belong even before I feel like I belong because I'm in Christ? So that encourages me. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think the next one um, that Oldenburg's talking about is, is kind of similar to that. He calls it a, a leveler, like that mm-hmm. the place that you're going to is a place where there's no importance on your status in society. So it's, um, the economic or social status doesn't matter. And it also allows there's a, a lot of commonality among the people that are actually there. Mm. Um, there are also no prerequisites or requirements to um, that stop you from being accepted into that mm. community. Mm. Do you want to speak to that? In terms of, I know it's one of our favorite verses from Matthew 22. It is, like yeah, that. it is. But again, see, Oldenburg's looking at communities. He was studying communities in uh, New York, and he was saying it's really interesting that I can go into a barber shop in New York. And somebody who's really rich who arrives in a Mercedes can park out the front and someone who doesn't even have a car can walk in and both those people can be in the barbershop. But while they're there, there's no importance on the individual status and they just both belong. Uh, Now, if that's true for a healthy secular community or a secular gathering, how much more is Jesus able to make our spiritual gathering so much more beautiful? And after all, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Jesus said, most important thing is to love God and love your neighbor. 
And when he was quizzed about that, he said, everyone is your neighbor, not just people you like or your age or like the same things that you like. So as churches, as communities, local communities, we should be seeking to be um, being a place where everybody is your neighbor. Yeah, so that's a really important um, characteristic of a Christian community. Yeah, and also I think if we're living that out, it's it's kind of, we're doing that across the generations, but also to people that you haven't spoken to before. So I think that allow, that gives us the freedom to be able to do that. Mm. Um, next characteristic, conversation is the main activity. So Oldenburg uh, breaks it down to say, playful and happy conversation is the main focus of activity in third places, although it is not required to be the only activity. So the tone of conversation is usually lighthearted, humorous, wit, uh, witty and good-natured, and they are very highly valued. That, would you say that we try to value that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, I think that's why we're friends, Joel, because yeah, I really appreciate true. your light-hearted, humorous wittiness <laughs> <laughs> and your good, good-natured playfulness. Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think it's an interesting thing he's observed there. But I think there's a deeper theological reality in the Christian church in that we have lots of things we do as a church. We we come together, and Jesus has given us the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, for example. So we uh, take and eat the bread and the, and drink the wine as a as a symbolic remembrance that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us and that when we do we remember that we need to feed on him by faith and not just trust in ourselves so there's there's a really uh, sober element to our christian gatherings that also include things like prayer where we don't only talk to each other but we talk to god and we don't only um do that we also sing and we hear the bible read and there's different parts of the liturgy that we have as Christians. And so I suppose you could say that we do a lot of conversing, but the the interesting thing that I'm reminded of is that sometimes as Christians we can become a bit utilitarian, especially if our architecture pushes us in that direction. So if all we've got as a church in our architecture is just the formal space, and if we only just have a short cup of tea or a coffee after church and a, and a biscuit and then go off... Um, we, we don't get to do a lot of the actual relating with each other that we could do. We might be in a Bible study or in a ministry outside of that service. But we thought in our architecture, wouldn't it be great if we have those, we have a space in our architecture for the somber um, reflection that, you know, God is God and we are not and that we're, um, we're actually um, in a spiritual gathering, gathering around Jesus. But then after that formal element, wouldn't it be great if the space had, a place where we could share a bit more time. Maybe we have some lounge rooms or maybe we have a cafe where people can sit and talk and ask each other how they're going and pray for each other and share their problems but also share their joys. And in that kind of a space, you you do start to see the playful, happy conversation take place that is a lovely outworking of our love for one another. So something yeah, that you I think lear- that's really nice. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, Was that right. something that you learnt? I mean, I remember you talking about that every time when you first started Sorovol back in the early 90s, that every time you moved, it always ended up kind of resembling a, like an almost like a lounge room? Yeah, lounge rooms have been a big part of our architecture, I think. Yeah, yeah it's true. And that's a place where you can sit and you feel like you've got permission to sit for a while. It's not just a stand-up with a coffee that's getting cold and oh, I've got to go to something yeah. else more important after this. Yep. It's, yeah, if you've got time. I mean, you don't have to at Sorovol, but if you've got time, you can sit and be and have that conversation. I suppose also a yeah. important part of when we had the factory, like we had 
you were saying there was originally just one unit and then we got the two units. We actually had to punch a hole through in between the two. So that we yeah, could we did. first have the area where we're actually having the normal church, a formal church service, and then we also have the area yeah. where we can actually have that kind of space. Yeah, well, that's starting to dig into what we shared with the architect when we got the space. We went and we got the DA, we went to the architect and said, how could we fit some of these third place characteristics in as well as the formal church service? And the architect designed it so that the entrance of our building is you come into the cafe area first past the coffee machine into the area where there's the lounge rooms and the hangouts and it and it actually is a place that is quite familiar to people who are used to going to cafes and going to lounge rooms and i think we said last week that one of the values of the welcome team was that they wanted it to be like we we're welcoming people into our own home so having that real um place where people could have a conversation meant that people who were christian could have a conversation about faith but also people that didn't have faith could come and sit down and have a conversation about faith. And that was before we came into the auditorium. And then after we are in the auditorium, we had the formal service. We could again have another time where we could have a meal and, and talk to each other. So the architecture of that was really interesting that we walked through that into the formal space and then we walked back out of the formal space into that place where we could like have a like conversation. Almost like returning to a safe area. It kind of makes it like, it, yeah. like once the formal service Yeah, I think so, finished. yeah. And yeah. then also, um, and I think I think the formal place is safe too, but it, it just creates a place where people can interact with each other. Yeah, sorry, yeah. they've just seen it before, so like, oh, yeah. we can go I back and interact yeah. with everyone. Yeah. Uh, and that also plays into the next uh, characteristic that Oldenburg talked about was accessibility and yep. accommodation, where he likes to say that third places must be open and readily accessible to those who are going to occupy them. They also need to be accommodating for those people, and provide for the wants of their inhabitants, so they feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we start applying that? Because that was a that was an interesting one to think about in terms of uh, new people that were coming along, yeah, especially to the new venue that we created. Yeah, that's right. And so I, I think under the church growth principles, the idea was um, people are looking for an experience where they can feel comfortable and they can relate to it. Uh, Willow Creek in America took this to such an extent that they they segregated out their what they call a seeker service on the weekend and a believer service during the week. So they made it so accessible to people who were coming for the first time who weren't Christians that they they didn't have discipleship elements to a large extent on their weekend services. They pushed that to a midweek service. Okay. Um, the the idea being that. There are cultural barriers between people in the church and outside the church now that people don't understand the culture of the church. Some people use third place theory like that. They try and create a place in between the church and the world so that people can access this known place and then after they get to know people, then access the, I suppose, the more spiritual conversation. But what we decided to do from the beginning was not just have the spiritual conversation as a secondary conversation, that we wanted to be... A Christian community that we invited people into our third place where we were having Christian relationships and we included them in the conversation and this idea of fulfilling people's real needs actually got me thinking about the fact that people's real needs are actually that they meet Jesus so rather than being a two-step process like a seeker service and a believer service or using third place as sort of an in-between the world and the church idea we thought, wouldn't it be great if people could come and experience a Christian community and see how Christians live and enjoy 
the benefits of seeing how people who are gathering around Jesus live and how they do the one another passages. They love one another and they care for one another, they build each other up. So John fourteen six, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Actually, I got that verse wrong. In, in, <laughs> I skipped ahead. It's, in a good one. it's a good one, but it's still. good. Yeah, John 3.16. Uh, John 14, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. So talking about meeting people's needs, well, everyone's real need is to meet Jesus. And so we thought we'd be explicit about that up front. So in our cafe space, we don't make it look like a secular space. We actually have a big poster on our wall at the moment that says Jesus changes everything. So people know straight away what we're on about. And then they go, oh, okay, what does a Christian community look like? And that's what I like about this idea of accessibility and accommodation. Yeah, I think it's one, It's I think that's probably one of the hardest ones to think about for churches, I feel like. But it's a very important one. Mm. Yeah. Mm, thanks. Um, regulars is what um, we've brought this up in previous episodes too about the third place harbors a regular number of uh, sorry I should say that again third places harbor a number of regulars that help give the space its tone and help set the mood and char- characteristics of the area uh, regulars to third places also attract newcomers and they're to help some they, they are there to help someone new to the space feel welcome and accommodated which plays into the last one we're talking about too but um I know that you've actually used that to talk about why the commitments were so important mm. in um, the youth ministry. How did we do it as a church, as a whole church? Yeah, I think a really good thing to remember in a spiritual community and a spiritual gathering is that if we gathered around Jesus, the community is the Christians. So the Christians are the community. So we are the brothers and sisters who are gathered. We, we're the ones who've been adopted into uh, God's family. And so we gather together. And the idea of the regular setting a culture is that uh, I remember back in youth ministry that if you didn't have enough Christians in a youth group, sometimes if there were more non-Christians, they set the culture more than the Christians did. So we used to celebrate the role of the committed Christians that we summarized as commitments and we used to empower them to set the culture. Now, in a church, it's a bit easier because you have that formal service that is obviously really uh, culturally centered the whole of the gathering. But here we're reminded that as a Christian church, the Christians are the regulars and the newcomers who are coming along actually get an opportunity to, to not only hear what we preach according to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians that we said earlier, but also to see how we share our lives together. And then we can actually do mission and discipleship in that third place from that point of view. Yeah, well, that's really cool. Um, did you, you also had a verse from Ephesians that you also thought was um, useful for that. Did you want yeah, to tell everyone yeah, about that one? Yeah, so in Ephesians 4... Uh, 11 and 16 we see that um, explicitly so it says there so Christ himself Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the son and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ so so it's Christ who actually um gives the Christian church the roles and the gifts that it needs for it to be a functioning group of regulars um, in the church. Uh, that group that are regularly coming every week are setting the culture through their ministry. And so that that's actually a really good image. I, I mean, in Ephesians, we get a really rich uh, ecclesial language of different metaphors that Paul uses on 
how to describe who we are as a church. Sometimes we're described as a house being built together uh, on the foundation of Christ. Sometimes we're described as a body with Christ as the head. Sometimes we're a family with God himself as our father. So, yeah, this, this language of who we are as a group that we're inviting people into is important for us to keep that distinctive. And that's one of the reasons why I like the third place to be a Christian third place that's explicitly Christian. Is that also, obviously, that's going to allow for a lot more discipleship and, and, and the the regulars want to create the environment where it actually builds up the irregulars to become regulars? Yeah, well, that's right. Um, I mean, our preaching is to the Christian community and people who aren't Christians come along and they listen to that and we try and get rid of jargon in our preaching so that people who are new to the the faith or new to church can come along and listen and learn about Christ. And the good thing about having a third place after the formal gathering where people can gather and just have a conversation is that it gives people who are new, non-Christian people, an opportunity to talk about the sermon and say, hey, I heard that in the sermon. What do you guys think about that? What's your approach to that? And it helps people to connect quicker and to grow more. Yeah, cool. The next one is a low profile of Oldenburg's third place characteristics. And that means to him that third places are characteristically wholesome. Which sounds very Interesting, nice. isn't it? Yeah. The inside of a third place is without extravagance or grandiosity and has a homely feel. Third places are never snobby or pretentious and are accepting of all types of individuals from various walks of life. Um, it's interesting that he observes that it's not extravagant or snobby, um, which you know I think sometimes we can be accused of in the Christian church. Yeah, I think so. I think in our desire to be professional, we can come across as a bit arrogant or a bit snobby. And also, in order to try and impress people, we can try and come across a little bit like that. But I think it's really important, if this is true for secular communities, which is really interesting, actually, that that wholesomeness is a characteristic that Mm. people enjoy, how much more beautiful is the Christian church than even those communities that, you know, in Galatians 3.28, we're told that there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so there's this wonderful reality that we are all God's people together, no matter what our background is. And so in Sorrow Revival, we've used the phrase that as we share our lives with each other in that third place and preach the gospel together, that we want to share the truth and love of Jesus person to person, generation to generation, culture to culture, and place to place. And the idea of that is that we want to be a place that isn't only for really cool people or for people of a certain subculture. Often church plants, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but one of the things I have observed is often church plants will target a group of people and they'll say, this is a group for young adults who live in the inner city or this is a group for surfers who surf at the beach or this is a group for families. Uh, now that that not in itself is extravagant or grandiose, but it can actually lead to a certain kind of culture that can feel a bit foreign to people who aren't part of that subculture what we've really enjoyed doing uh to create a wholesome characteristic is to just be open to everyone and we're an all-age all-stage church you talked previously um or earlier in this podcast about how uh, there was a, a culture in the 90s of starting to get about oh, just see how professional we are and um it was almost becoming a product that was consuming it was that um kind of like in terms of a low profile kind of working against that also from probably had come from the homogeneous unit principle that had developed from the 60s yeah so the homogeneous unit principle was part of the church growth movement that we've talked about the idea was that that people didn't 
spend time in community with people who were different to themselves. So churches made a big attempt to create communities that weren't, uh, op- well, they were open to everyone, but they were targeted at a certain demographic and that was called a homogeneous group or a, a like group. They were the same as each other. So let's start a youth service for youth. Let's start a family service for families. Let's start a traditional service for traditional people. Uh, The problem with that is that it can feel that if you're not part of that particular group, you don't really have a place and you don't really feel like you belong. But as we were saying before, that we belong because we're Christian. And so no matter what other identities we have, we are actually our identities in Christ and we should be clothed by Christ. So... When we come to church that actually come to be in the gathering of God's people, we could be male or female or slave or free or Jew or Gentile, but we're all one in Christ. Now, uh, that very verse actually, I think, was at the heart of why slavery was actually abolished because over many, many decades, Christians became more and more uneasy with this. Well, why do we have slavery? We, We shouldn't be slaves. We should be accepting and treating each other as Christian brothers and sisters. So it was Christians who actually abolished slavery because of verses like this that convicted Christians that we shouldn't define ourselves against one another, that we can embrace identities that we have, but our identity in Christ is what we have in common. Yeah, and it's, um, uh, again, it's like as Oldenburg likes to say, it's a leveler or it's a, there's no there's no other... There's no pretensions around it and there's no need except for Jesus to come to be, to actually be in that community. I, this is one I like, uh, a characteristic from Oldenburg. The mood is playful, which means the tone of conversation in third places is never marked with tension or hostility. Instead, third places have a playful nature where witty conversation and frivolous banter are not only common but highly valued, <laughs> which I'm a big fan of. Um Alderberg loves his witty, witty stuff. He Ri- does. He? he likes witty people. <laughs> um, how did that? How did that translate into how we, when we moved into the factory, how, how would you make the mood playful? Yeah. Well, we we talk. Uh, I think I mentioned it a bit earlier. We talk about having sober joy in the church. That the sobriety we have as Christians, you know, comes from passages like one Samuel two two, where there we're told that there is. No one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. There is, uh, nor is there any rock like you, our God. Uh, so the idea is that God is God and we are not. And so when we come into his presence, then there is a sobriety that we have with that. Uh, yet at the same time, there is great joy in being the church. And then John thirteen thirty four to 35, Jesus says, New command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So yes, we serve one another. Yes, we bear one another's burdens, but we also build one another up and we encourage one another. And what I think is actually important about this idea is that unfortunately sometimes churches are places where there is a great deal of tension and hostility. So funnily enough, this is a reminder that as we said before, if community is good, then Christian community is great. Like, Is the Christian community a place where, yes, we will disagree with each other, but is the Christian church a place where we are going to have sobriety knowing that we come together because of the Lord God, that he is God, and that through his son we are his sons and daughters and we are his um, priests. We're a priesthood of all 
you know, for, after all we are, to represent him to the world. And if secular communities that are healthy are recognised by the fact that there's a lack of hostility and tension, we really need to, to have a good look at ourselves as Christians if our church communities are places that are full of hostility and tension. If there is hostility and tension and the brotherly love, the sisterly love of the community is not evident to all, then that is something we need to work on in the church. And unfortunately, because we are uh, bringing together people who are different and people who are very passionate about the things that they're different on, sometimes there can be great arguments that can break out in the church. And I think the way to deal with that is through conversation that is sober, that we need to have a, a really good look at deciding working out our disputes with the word of God as our authority, not just I feel this or you feel this. And so the idea of the shock absorber is actually bring a conversation together between people who would normally have different views and to sit under the authority of God's word and actually seek to reduce hostility and tension in the church. But unfortunately, sometimes the generations can be more at war with each other in the church than they are actually working together in the church. So actually, a little bit of a reminder to me that we should be greater than even the secular communities in this regard. And sometimes we do fall short in that area. Yeah, and so how do we um, encourage it to be a little bit more playful as well, like to be able to be like okay with each other, that we can have fun with each other too? What? Yeah, well, the, the funny consequence of, of our architecture is by creating an auditorium space as part of the architecture, but also having a space for conversation, it means people can be themselves. And human beings tend to express all sorts of different emotions when they're together and christians also express all sorts of different so it's actually lovely to come out of a church service and to hear laughter and to hear uh, people encouraging one another as well as um yeah sometimes disagreeing but to 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 replace hostility and tension with with good-natured love and care for one another means that we will have fun too and talk about fun things as well yeah um, that's something i really value here <laughs> yeah, at church um, yeah it's it's quite common to see here yeah. yeah which is great uh the final characteristic of oldenburg's third place theory is a home away from home uh, and he describes that as occupants of third places will often have the same feelings of warmth possession and belonging as they would in their own homes they feel a piece of themselves is rooted in the space and gain spiritual that's interesting gain spiritual regeneration by spending time there um, uh, you, you brought up Ephesians uh, chapter 2 as a basically relating that to being a spiritual house. Yeah, I've, I've talked about that before. And again, that's one of the ecclesial languages that we get in Ephesians, isn't it? In mm. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom, whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So the beautiful reminder we have from Ephesians 2 is that once uh, God traveled in the desert with his people and dwelt in the tabernacle, once he dwelt with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. But now he lives in the hearts of all believers and he makes um, his temple in our hearts. And so also when two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, he's there in the midst of us. And so he has um, built us into um, a whole building, being fit together and growing into a holy temple of the Lord. 
So the building isn't the temple. The building isn't the church. The gathering of God's people is the church explicitly expressed there. And that idea that we are at home is because we are at home in Christ. He is our home. And as a result, we are able to minister out of and be ministered to from that perspective. And so the warmth we feel, the um, encouragement, I think actually here I disagree with Oldenburg because I think the only place people can have spiritual regeneration is in the church. So he Mm. might look at people having all the sense of warmth and the sense of possession and belonging and go, that's like a spiritual regeneration. Uh, But I would disagree with that because I think the only place to find spiritual regeneration is through Jesus and through his community and through his gathering of his people. And so, yeah, I think that's a really nice place to to finish off on his his stuff because our architecture should actually embrace who we are as the Christian church and that we, again, remember 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that we come together to share the gospel and also to share our lives. We come together to hear the gospel and and actually share our lives with one another. So the architecture of the factory needed to fit be fit for purpose. So unlike the cave in the um, you know in the first century, unlike the big cathedrals of the Middle Ages, and actually unlike the utilitarian buildings that were made for people to come for an hour and then go home, as comfortable and professional as they might have been made to look, we felt like for us to have a factory, and there's lots of other things we have in it. We have everything as you know utilitarian as toilets and and places to wash our hands. But what we really needed is spaces where people could come and hear the gospel in quiet, uh, in a place where they could reflect on the message of the gospel and a place where they could share their lives with each other too. So, yeah, I suppose in summary today, architecture for us is just to help facilitate being who we are. And if we are God's people, we are a spiritual community. It's interesting to look at us in contrast to secular communities, but at the end of the day, the the building needs to help us to be God's people. Yeah, and I think that's a um, a really good point to actually finish on for this episode. I should just I've just got a hair on me, so we should get rid of that. But um, I think that yeah, that's a good point to finish on. And I think also um, that's how we moved into the factory. But then it also this kind of thinking allowed us to move on into 2015, which we can talk about in the next episode. But also how we um, it actually allowed us to plant another gathering, so yeah. we can start. Having a factory actually allowed us to start building up um, the church in whatever way God asked us to and um, willed us to. And then so like that uh, allowed us to, again, have multiple gatherings in one place. Mm. So yeah, because like at, at PAC, God blessed us. He was very kind and generous to us and continued to grow the number yeah. of people who came along. And so, yeah, we found ourselves uh, with a, serve, a gather one particular gathering was starting to get too big for the place. So rather than getting more and more buildings, we thought let's, spread out and have more gatherings over the weekend as a first step towards that. Absolutely. And we'll talk about the first step for actually planning the first gathering next episode. But for now, we'll leave it at that. And we'll finish off by saying one way, guys. One way. Thanks.